Welcome to the Avenging Hour. I'm Jason. I'm John. Hey. 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 Do we want to do questions now? We just want to go and do the questions in between? We'll just, we only have one question of the month, and we can do that when we get to it. It's is it at the end of this issue? Or no, it's at the end of the second. Oh, so we, don't really, we might as well just jump right into yeah, it. Let's just jump right in. Then we'll banter at the end. Yeah, if we have time and to banter. waste time. Yeah, well, let's go to let's do what we normally do and go towards the end and see how much energy we have left. <laughs> right, right. Let's not waste time now. Let's waste time later. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's, uh, let's get work done. Yeah. Work first. Well, that's kind of what I feel. Yeah, you, you've got to dig in and get the work done, right. and then you can just goof off. Sure, whatever. sure. Makes sense. All right. Previously on the Avenging Hour. I mean, this is what we're getting paid for. <laughs> we more or less wrapped up the whole Nebula thing. The scrolls lost their shape-changing abilities, and we had to put up with the Beyonder for part of one issue, which was way too long. And now, episode 124. Thank God we don't have to put up with him anymore. Right? Avengers 261, November 1985, Roger Stern and John Buscema. This one's called Earth and Beyond. With Nebula and her forces finally defeated, the team sits down for a mission debriefing with the Skrulls. Lead Skrull guy, General Zadrao, Zadreo? Who cares? Reveals that the Skrulls as a race have lost their shape-shifting abilities and will be trapped in the forms they now wear until the day they die, or editorial retcons the whole thing, whichever comes first. As for the matter of who gets to keep Thanos' now-abandoned weapon center, well, let's just say Star Fox has a way of making that problem disappear. In fact, before this meeting, he visited Sanctuary 2 and overloaded its gravity stabilizers so it imploded on itself. Poof. Most of the scrolls are angry about this, but Zadrao assures them it was Star Fox's blood right. He then suggests the team leave quickly before his crew mutinies. Fire Lord gets all blustery, saying that Zadrao wants them to pile into Star Fox's ship so he can blast them into nothing. But Wasp reminds the former Herald that Zadrao's men rescued him from his face plant on that little moon, and maybe he should just shut up. <laughs> and with that, the team heads home. Approaching Earth, Star Fox announces that he's dropping the team off, and he and Fire Lord are going to go take a buddy road trip to look for Nebula, like Thelma and Louise searching for the sweet release of death. For some reason, the women of the team, who have been consistently creeped out by Star Fox, complain the loudest about him leaving. Everyone else just kind of shrugs. Once inside the Earth's atmosphere, Captain Marvel launches out of the Quinjet to visit her parents. Frank and Maria are having breakfast. Captain Marvel joins them. End of useless interlude. Back at the mansion, Jarvis regales the team with a tale of a visit from... Uh, the Beyonder. Our enormously powered idiot showed up looking for the team. When Jarvis told him they weren't there, the Beyonder said he would find them himself, which begs the question, why didn't he just do that in the first place? Oh, and by the way, the Federal Aviation Administration dropped off this letter announcing that the team would no longer be allowed to store their Quinjets and their fuel inside the mansion because it's highly dangerous and they don't have any clearance anymore. Wasp and Cap head down to D.C. in the morning to hash things out, but no dice. Mr. Fenton is a hard-nosed bureaucrat who smokes a pipe, and you can't mess with that. Cap argues that they face many menaces. Fenton says, like what? And quick as clockwork, the Beyonder pops in standing on Fenton's desk. For some reason, he's acting more idiotic than usual, almost like dealing with Batmite or Mr. Mixit's Plitic, or Mr. Mixit's Plitic, or whatever that guy's name is. <laughs> he leads our two Avengers on a chase through the building, only blinking away once Cap and Wasp team up to knock him down. A day later, Black Knight and Hercules are at Project Pegasus to try to use some of their gadgets to track the Beyonder's energy signature. But guess what? No need for that, because the Beyonder just blinked into the room. Hercules grabs him, insisting no one can break his grip, and the Beyonder proceeds to blast the Prince of Power out the side of the mountain. Then Beyonder asks for a swordplay demonstration. He makes a dozen metal arms grow from the ground, and Black Knight takes them all out. Then Beyonder gives himself a sword and fights Dane, launching himself abdomen first onto the ebony blade. 
He appears to dislike the sensation of being impaled and blinks away again. Back at the mansion, the team members are discussing their run-ins when the Beyonder pokes in yet again. This time, Hercules punches him up through every floor of the mansion, of course causing an eruption of jet fuel and a fire, as we were clumsily foreshadowed earlier. Some fighting later, Beyonder explains that he wants to understand the Avengers world. So Wasp offers him an in-training membership, and oh my god, that would be awful. Beyonder cleans up the mess he made and states he still has much to see. He thanks them for the offer and disappears again. And that's the end of this issue. But uh, not the Beyonder. Unfortunately. Our roll call. At the end of the issue, our team consists of Captain America, Captain Marvel, Wasp, Hercules, and the Black Knight. Star Fox leaves the team to search for Nebula, taking Fire Lord with him. We see Frank and Maria Rambo again. Jarvis tells a story. Mr. Fenton of the FAA lays down the law, and our antagonist is the ever-annoying Beyonder. You got so, any notes for this one? So you said that you said that Captain Marvel, the, the interlude with her parents was pointless or whatever, but would you rather have that interlude or more time with the Beyonder? Does it... What's the difference? Really? It was like a page. I'd much rather spend time with them than the Beyonder. That'd be another page of the Beyonder. And- it's really weird. Like, what was the point of that? Hey, everybody. Well, it's, we I'm, still have a daughter. Well, I think that the point was that her parents were really worried about her because she'd been she missing answer, for like three weeks. Didn't answer her phone. Yeah. So I, I get why. I mean, again, we're seeing a little bit of her family because she doesn't have her own book. And I think that they thought she might get her own book. Unlike the Black Knight or Hercules, they knew that wasn't going to happen. So... Well, you know, we're trying to develop a supporting cast for her. Fair enough, but they could have had something interesting at least happen in the interlude. Some bit of information or a continuation of that whole thing where she had asked her dad to help her with the business she wanted to start. Or, you know, something. A g- something beyond my parents love me and are worried when they don't hear from me for three weeks. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. breakfast. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I get it. I wish we could have seen a little bit more of General Zadreo going forward. I thought he was an interesting character because the scrolls are so often in the Marvel Universe painted very broadly. They are, you know, again, devious miscreants, devious creatures. And this guy actually had some sense of honor. and Yeah, he had yeah. some sense of honor. He was, he was smart. He was practical. And I wish we could have seen more of him. But I do not believe, I looked him up, and I don't believe we ever see him again after this. When Fire Lord says that he's going to go with Star Fox to find Nebula, Star Fox is so obviously overwhelmed by emotion. <laughs> he's like, like, oh, are you? Very well, if you must. Which I don't blame him. Who in the world would want to go out with Fire Lord? Who would want to spend all day with Fire Lord in a spaceship that would drive us all insane? He's just going to complain the whole time. Plus, he can fly. Why does he need to be in the spaceship? But we will see uh, this quest for Nebula will come back. We will see it again in this book about, I think, around issue 313 is when it comes back. Wow. So we will be seeing this again. That's a long time. In our, uh, we should be at that point. It's like, like four years later. Yeah, like 2024. We should be getting to those stories. <laughs> when, they, when they leave, when Star Fox says he's going to leave the team, the Black Knight says, I've known Star Fox only a few weeks. Why do I feel like I'm losing a brother? I don't know, Dane. You guys have never spent time together that we've seen. Why do you? What's wrong with you? Has he used his pleasure power on Dane? I have no idea why Dane would care. I mean, we have really literally seen no scenes with the two of them together. You mentioned that Mr. Fenton is a bureaucrat, but he obviously is a scientist because, as because you noted, he smokes a pipe. And, and let's be clear. The FAA's decision makes total sense. Oh, yeah. The idea that the Avengers have not just been launching supersonic aircraft out of the middle of Manhattan, but have been storing gallons upon gallons of rocket fuel right? in their in their mansion headquarters is crazy pants. I can't imagine the neighbors appreciate any of that. That is bananas. Yeah, can you imagine every time they launch a Quinjet, how loud that would be? I just, I, I, and how dangerous that would be, especially in Avengers Mansion, because as we know, 
that place really has walls. You're right. Anybody could walk in and... Someone could accidentally punch a thing of jet fuel. Just Just torture. walking by. Yeah. <laughs> Hercules, you know, could just freak out and start punching stuff. So this was this was something that made a lot of sense, and I'm kind of glad that, that the Avengers have been forced to deal with this. Now someone would just tell the Fantastic Four to stop shooting their pogo plane out of the middle of the Baxter building. Well, that's a tall building, though. I mean... If- they launch it from the top. And it does go straight up, unlike yeah. the Quinjets, which always come out the side and, you know, yeah, yeah. skim across the tenements across the street. Why was I thinking at some point that the Quinjets were launched out of the, the big lake in the middle of Central Park? And that may be something that they do later. Mm. Which isn't much better, but... No, no, not at all. That would be hilarious if you were, you know, in the park, like, in a little boat, like a little paddle boat. <laughs> <laughs> so they started teaming up the Black Knight and Hercules, which is interesting because they will be a team that we will see again and again and again. Not just now. They'll basically be a team until Hercules ends up leaving the team when the Black Knight will then start teaming up with Dr. Druid. But when they both rejoin the team in the 90s, they will be a couple then as well. They are definitely bros. It's because they're both scientists. They're bro- <laughs> <laughs> There's a definite bromance. The doctor at Project Pegasus mentions that they have found readings uh, the, the Black Knight gives him basically beyonder readings, and he says they're identical to readings from a Denver observatory during an unusual electromagnetic storm a few weeks ago. That is when the Beyonder came to Earth in Secret Wars 2, number 1, uh, because the Molecule Man was living in Denver, and he wanted to go hang out with him. Oh, oh yeah, the Project Pegasus. Does that does that uh, scientist guy look like he's wearing a disguise? <laughs> <laughs> It's very weird. It's a very random face. He takes off the glasses and the nose and the mustache come with it. (laughs) Whoops, sorry, you weren't supposed to see that. I am a scientist. (laughs) (laughs) I know science things. The last episode, we talked about how the Beyonder goes through phases throughout Secret Wars 2. Where like every issue of Secret Wars 2, he has a different personality. This one, he's... He wants to be a hero, and this one he's going to be a villain, and this one he's aggressive, and this one he wants to experience romance. But in every single one of them, he's like an adolescent child. Yes. In, at this point in time, he's in his curious, mischievous phase. Let's be clear. All of his phases are annoying. Yes. Every single one. I find them all to be curious and mischievous and annoying. But yeah, that's what we're going through now. Unfortunately... Does he ever have like a caring phase or a, well, yes. a melancholy? Does he, does he become yes. like goth beyonder? Yes. He does. <laughs> What is the point of all this, man? I just want to listen to music in my room. (laughs) (laughs) We won't be seeing any more of him this episode, but unfortunately, we will be seeing him in a few episodes' time. Uh, And so we're going to get to see him through a lot of phases. Well, because Secret Wars 2 crossovers last for like three years. Oh my gosh. For a nine-issue limited series, it really does seem like it goes on forever. Because it's in every title. It is. Multiple times. Mm. And like in this one, where he's in for a few issues, and then we get a break. Then he's back. I feel like at some point we have to explain what's going on in the actual Secret Wars 2 book so it'll you know make all these scenes make sense because they all make perfect sense when you look at them all together. <laughs> I began to get very angry because I thought you can't seriously expect me to try and recap a Secret Wars 2 more than we have uh, by now, more than we already have. I don't even want to try. You know, you made fun of the Wasp's idea to make the Beyonder and Avenger in training. Oh my God, that would be so horrifying. For for us, that would be horrifying. But from the Avengers' point of view, it's really a brilliant idea. Because they obviously can't beat him. Yeah, So the idea of trying to mold him... I just... uh, What else do you do with him? 
They would lose their patience so quickly. Well, especially Hercules. That would be kind of fun. I can't even think that Captain America would be able to put up with it. But what what else do you do with the Beyonder? I don't know. I don't know what he's doing in the Marvel Universe to begin with. (laughs) Okay, granted. I don't think there's anything you do with him except make him go away. Well, I think... Can you say his name backwards? But but that's you and me talking as readers. But I'm saying from the Wasp's point of view, I think she comes up with a solution that's actually pretty good. I guess. I mean, he was going out of his way to find the Avengers asking, are you an Avenger? Are you like he thought these were the pinnacle of heroes? So if they were going to, it's better than him joining the Defenders because that would just be weird. This, the very, the very end of this issue, this last, the next to last page, the penultimate page is, is a perfect example of why Secret Wars 2 is so painful. Because basically while the Wasp explains to the Beyonder what it, what it means to be an Avenger in training, you know, Black Knight, Hercules, Captain Marvel, and Captain America stand in a corner and debate philosophy. <laughs> and that's what Secret Wars 2 often becomes. It just becomes a bunch of people, instead of us actually seeing things happening, it's just a lot of people talking about abstract ideas and the, and ultimate power. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what the Beyonder is. Exactly, and it's really boring. That's all I got. And then all the stuff that he did to mess things up, he just, like, points his fingers at it and fixes everything. He yeah. fixes everything unless it's a plot point, like when he te- teleported Nebula away. Right. Which he could have, yeah. So, bullpen bulletins. On the inside back cover. We've never seen it on the inside back cover before, but this issue ran long and no letters page again. Because we couldn't miss out on any of that Beyonder stuff. Bob Layton gets a chance to tell some stories about Jim Shooter, which I can only see as a way for Jim Shooter to talk about himself by making others do it for him. And the checklist includes the first issues of both the Balder the Brave limited series and the Nightcrawler limited series where he's a pirate. And Iron Man reaches issue number 200. I don't know why I mentioned those things. Well, the important thing about Iron Man reaching issue 200, that's when Tony Stark gets his new armor that we've already seen in West Coast Avengers. Oh, right. And, and returns officially to being Iron Man again. And, of course, The Bold of the Brave is the Walt Simonson Sal Buscema series. It's actually a good series. It's a good series. For a character you've probably never heard of. Except for the fact <laughs> that Sal Buscema does the art on it. It's not that bad. It's okay. It doesn't annoy me like his Spider-Man does. And the Nightcrawler is Dave Cockrum. <laughs> that's it. Doing weird, both yeah. writing and art. A weird series. It is very weird, but it's kind of fun. Yeah. I like the swashbuckling Nightcrawler. MVP. I gave it to Star Fox for quitting the team and not having to deal with any of this. <laughs> That's brilliant. I gave it to uh, the Wasp, not only because she seems to handle the Beyonder well and I still like her Avengers in training idea, but the fact that of all of these characters, she's really not that faced by the Beyonder. Like Captain America treats him with a reverence. A lot of them are in awe of him. And she's just kind of like, whatever, he's just another guy. She shrinks down, sits on his shoulder, yeah. talks to him. She's really not that impressed by absolute power. Useless character? Uh, Captain Marvel. She doesn't do anything. Oh, that's a really good point. We don't see her power. I mean, other than her shooting out of the Quinja to go have breakfast with her parents, she doesn't do anything. That's a really good point. She's the only one that doesn't get to confront the Beyonder on her own, right? Yeah. Um, I picked Hercules not because he's useless so much as because he causes so much damage to this issue just by being a jerk. Because he insists on fighting the Beyonder. And then his ego gets hurt, so he has to try and fight him again. Yeah. So he, he destroys half of Project Pegasus, and that does not get fixed. And well, as far as we know. And destroys a lot of uh, the Avengers Mansion, which does get fixed. Do we know if it doesn't get fixed? I mean, the maybe... Beyonder leaves and doesn't fix it. Yeah, but we see him wave his hands. Maybe he fixed everything that happened in the issue. Uh, who knows? Jazz hands. I need to take pictures of you doing that with and put that on the Instagram. Uh, best quote taken out of context? That's an awfully big if, Dane. I put if in quotes like it was a euphemism for something else. Uh, it's an awfully, awfully big if. Avengers level threat? Yes, if he wanted to be. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say that Beyonder. Omnipotence is hard to... To beat as a threat. Yeah. Final grade? I gave it a D. It's really annoying. I did not like the Beyonder. In the, I mean, I don't like the Beyonder in general, but he was just a 
idiot in this one. I gave it a C. I mean, I like it looks good. The characters are well written, but ugh. Alrighty. All right. Next up is Avengers number two sixty two from December of nineteen eighty five. Jason, we finished another year. Oh, it feels like just yesterday. This is by Roger Stern and John Basima again, and it is called Many Brave Hearts. Hey, look, it's Stingray. He arcs gracefully out of the water, landing on a nearby boat where he's greeted by his wife. It's good to see Stingray getting so... Wait, who the hell is Stingray? Let me interrupt myself for a footnote. Stingray first appeared in Tales to Astonish number 95 back in September of 1967 as Dr. Walter Newell. He is an oceanographer who befriends Prince Namor. Eventually, the United States government asks Walter Newell to take to capture Namor, and so Dr. Newell builds the Stingray armor in Submariner number 19 in November of 1969. He uses this... Uh, Superpowered suit of armor to try and capture Namor, and of course that turns out you know they they become great friends, and then he basically becomes a superhero in the Namor verse, running into Triton, the Hulk, the Defenders, and the Thing. He marries Diane Newell, the sister of underwater supervillain Tiger Shark, and finally the two of them take control of Hydro Base. Hydro- Wait, you said he married Diane Newell. Oh my God, Diane Arliss. Well, yeah, she was. She becomes Diane Newell. It was really convenient that her name was already Newell. <laughs> Didn't have to change anything. Yeah, it was so so nice. Yeah, Diane Arliss. Sorry, sister to Todd Arliss. Yes, the tiger shark. Fine. The two of them finally take control of Hydro Base. Hydro Base was an artificial island that used to belong to a defeated villain named Doctor Hydro or Doctor Base. <laughs> Doctor H Base. <laughs> He's been involved in a few big cases at this point. Who, uh, Dr. Hydro? No, no, it's Stingray. <laughs> Stingray's probably best known for being uh, one of the first people to fight Maelstrom. Remember him? How could I forget? And he also in, uh, was involved in the Serpent Crown Saga. Wait, we already had the Serpent Crown Saga? Mm-hmm. So the his, first one, that comes back again. Yes, yes, so that, okay. we're not to Atlantis attacks yet. Ah, okay. His armor lets him glide in air. It lets him swim and breathe underwater. It gives him super strength, and he can shoot electricity. Just like a stingray. Just like a stingray. I want to go back and talk more about Dr. Hydro. We'll do a Dr. Hydro podcast. Where did he come from? If we did a Namor podcast, which we will never do. Uh, seriously, though, Dr. Hydro, was he like a, a Submariner villain? Yeah, dude, I have a recap to finish I don't here. care. I mean, where did the guy get the resources to build this giant base? From his partner, Dr. Base. There were two of them, Dr. Hydro and Dr. <laughs> he Base. He already had the base, and he yeah. met Dr. Hydro so they could put it in the water. Yeah. Oh. Dr. Base had it first, and he and they were calling it Base Hydro. And they're like, this doesn't sound right. You got your hydro in my base. You got your base in my hydro. And we're back. Great. So, anyway, Stingray and his wife are very interested in the news story that relates how the FAA has pulled the Avengers clearance for flying Quinjets out of the mansion. Speaking of our grounded group, we now move to the gym at Avengers Mansion, where the Wasp has burst in, waving a newspaper at Captain America. A columnist at the Daily Bugle has announced Cap is leaving the team, something the Avenger flatly denies. He, the Wasp, and Hercules leave the gym, grumbling all the way to a nearby lab, where the Black Knight and Captain Marvel are checking out the new system that Dane Whitman has devised to track the Beyonder. Unfortunately, there's currently nothing showing up on it. The Beyonder is, mercifully for the readers, laying low. As the group continues kvetching and Captain Marvel wonders whether or not she should reveal her identity to the group, since she's the only person on the team with a secret identity, Jarvis comes stumbling in, carrying a comically large basket of mail. Which is how mail is delivered, by the basket. Jarvis claims this is only one-tenth of the mail that the team has received just that morning, as municipalities across the country are inviting the Avengers to relocate to them. So he had ten baskets. Hercules isn't helping because he's illiterate and usually drunk, but the rest of the team spends much of the next few days sorting through all the offers. 
Of course, the team doesn't want to leave New York City. They just need a place to store their Quinjets. And the Wasp thinks she's found the solution in one of the letters. I wonder if it will have anything to do with the characters from earlier in the book that we had never seen before. Meanwhile, a bald man sits in prison. A blonde man teleports through the prison wall and teleports back out with the bald man. The two of them end up in Brooklyn, where an old man waits for them. We soon find out that this dynamic team of old man, bald man, and blonde man are the Enclave, who we last saw in this book working with Maximus of the Inhumans and shooting meteors at the Earth from the moon. They spend some time flashbacking about that caper, and that time they created Adam Warlock, but soon enough they end flashback mode and begin foreshadowing mode, letting us know that they have a new plan. Yeesh, these are our next villains. Is it too late to get the Beyonder back? The next day, the Avengers head out to Hydra Base to meet Stingray and his wife and discuss using the artificial island as a place to store their Quinjets. We find out that the Newells had a grant to do some research, but they lost it, and they figure if the Avengers pay to keep their Quinjets here, they won't have to go out and get real jobs. They also explain that the island is actually a huge vessel, and that they have empty hangars that should be able to be adapted for the Avengers' use. Just then, Namor flies in, come to visit his friends, the Newells. Stingray invites Namor on their tour, but the Submariner declines. He's obviously subdued and melancholy, and the Newells explain it's because he'd been asked to give up the throne of Atlantis and is now a man without a country. Namor mopes off, and the team goes on with their tour. However, Hercules spies Namor on a monitor later in the tour, brooding like he's either an X-Man or the Guardian of Gotham City. Hercules leaves the group, goes to find Namor, taunts him, and then immediately attacks him. While Namor does not initially wish to fight, he quickly becomes enraged, and the two battle all over the island. The rest of the Avengers hear sounds of battle and race to find out what is happening, with Captain Marvel breaking up the fight between the two powerhouses. At first blaming Namor for the fight, the group quickly realizes that Hercules is to blame. Laughing, Hercules says he wanted to make Namor feel better and thought a battle would do so, and soon Namor is laughing as well. All friends again, Namor stays for dinner, and that evening finds the Submariner, the Newells, and the Avengers having a clam bake on the shores of Hydra Base. While the Black Knight says he thinks he can devise a quick transportation method to get from the mansion to Hydra Base, Cap and Namor wander off to reminisce. When Cap senses that Namor is at loose ends, he invites him to join the Avengers. Namor's reluctant, but after Cap explains that Namor is the one who saved him from remaining a Capsicle until global warming could thaw him, Namor agrees to join the team. The end. So our team at the end of this issue is Wasp, Captain America, Hercules, Black Knight, Captain Marvel, and the Submariner. That's a pretty good team. It is. Uh, We also see Stingray, Jarvis, and the Enclave. And Mrs. Stingray. And Mrs. Stingray. (laughs) We find out at the beginning of this issue that Cap has his own 800 number. Yes, so I wanted to mention this. And I I wonder how much he charges the heavy-breathing teenage boys per minute. (laughs) That's horrible. I know, right? So in Captain America's own title that Mark Grunewald is writing right now, Captain America finds out that because he was, through some bureaucratic army error, he was never declared dead. Wait, he's not actually a captain? Oh, what? He was never declared dead during World War II because... So he, they owe him a bunch of back pay? So they owe him a bunch of back pay. That's so a lot. Captain With America's interest. owed Oof. like 30 years worth of back pay. So he gets this huge check from the U.S. government. Like an actual giant check? Like he won the... <laughs> like he won the sweepstakes. <laughs> yeah, cool. So instead of using it on blowing hookers, he <laughs> uses it to set up this hotline. Basically, he finds some, you know, some kids, because he's Captain uh-huh. America, yeah. uh, to man kids this hotline calisthenics him. out in the park. <laughs> Actually, he doesn't use the, he uses the kids for that. He gets actual professionals to, to run the hotline. So, yes, now you have an 800 number. If you what, is he, prob- what is he, the A-team? I was just going to say, if you have a problem and you can find him, um, then if you have a problem, you can call Captain America's 800 number and his staff there will try to sort out the complaints for Ugh. obvious crank calls to non. So it's like Ghostbusters. 
something like that. He's got Annie Potts on the phone. I'm relatively sure it's used for maybe a year and then everyone forgets about it. It's probably a good idea. The only time I remember it actually showing up in the in his book, and I may have done it one of the ones, is when someone finds uh, the Mad Thinker's awesome android in their barn, and they call Captain America. They're like, "We have a giant android in our barn," and he comes out, <laughs> and takes a awesome. look at it. That's it. I don't remember it ever showing up again. Oh, could you imagine though? Like, how many times did Hercules crank call him? Every time Hercules gets drunk. Oh, Captain! Did you catch the um, the dig at the Justice League? Oh, Captain, this is Thor. Hercules, I know it. You stop calling my hop. Sorry. Uh, I did. That was wonderful. Do you the, want to explain it? The little, uh, well, you'd have to, I didn't write it down. You'd have to read it and I explain so, it. So Ca- they're looking through all of the, they're looking through all the offers to relocate oh, somewhere. right. And Captain Marvel says, Detroit, they've got to be kidding. Like who would put a super team in Detroit? Who would? DC. Do you have the history on that? Or do I need to I don't remember the whole history. I know the Justice League ended so, up there, and it was an awful version of the Justice League that had vibe in it. So in the nineteen in in the mid nineteen eighties, Jerry Conway took over the Justice League, and just oh, like with Jerry, the did he not know where they were located? Just like the Avengers, <laughs> he'd never read the book before. So he does this big plot line where uh, the Martians invade Earth, and most of the Justice League doesn't come to help. So Aquaman, who's the chair at the time, oh right. Starts Justice League Detroit. He says, if you people can't commit to this... Aquaman was hanging out in the Great Lakes. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, if you people can't commit to this team, you don't deserve to be on it. And all the Justice Leaguers quit, except for, I think, him and Martian Manhunter. And so they go to Detroit, or they get contacted by Commander Steel, who offers for them to come to Detroit, where they manage to find a a street urchin, a breakdancer... And I think that's it. Eventually Zatanna, maybe Zatanna's with them. Eventually Mm, she joins. Does she? And then much later Batman rejoins. We've got Vibe and, was was it Vixen? No. Oh, Vixen does eventually. She eventually joins. I'm not sure if she's there at the beginning. who's the... Gypsy. Gypsy, that's right. I could picture her and I couldn't think of her name. Gypsy. A character that at this point in time, I mean, they might as well have have picked an American Indian and named him Red Face. (laughs) I I just don't understand how how did they think this was a good idea. (laughs) Here we've got black guy and <laughs> Justice League uh, Super did, Taco. I don't know why it's <laughs> awful. Yeah, it was horrible. And and so Justice League Detroit got raked across the coals by fans. Yeah, it lasted less than two years, didn't it? Wasn't it? It like, lasted longer than you'd think. I don't I remember it was like exactly. Twenty two issues or something. Like that. Maybe it lasted for a while, <laughs> and they pretty much ended it by killing off almost all the new characters. <laughs> yes. Uh, in any case, no, it is a nice, it is a nice fun jab from uh, the Avengers at at. DC. Was this going on at the same time as? Yep. Oh, okay. This the um. I just kind of guessed that that's Justice, what they were doing. Justice League Detroit started in nineteen eighty four, so this oh, is okay. a year later. All right. So it was probably already failing. That's it, why it was easy to take a jab at. You're right. It would have only been about two years because it went until Crisis. That's yeah. when they that's when they ended it. And Crisis was in '86. Mm. So yeah, I understand why a town would want like an Amazon warehouse. You know, everybody wants right now to try and get an Amazon. But why in the world would you want the Avengers in your town? Well, I don't know. It kind of makes a good point. I mean, there's got to be some small town out in the middle of nowhere that has nothing else going on. But I don't understand the the economic pluses well, of it, like. That's I could see thing. like you're gonna like, safety is gonna be an issue because people are just gonna start attacking your town. But you know it, you're right. The comic. I, my first question was why would you want to do this? And the comic, you know, basically says Captain America. The comic addresses it. The Wasp asks it, and Captain America says, you know, there's there's towns that really don't have much going for them. But what would that add? Like, but what would it? Actually, yeah, I'm sorry. It's Captain Marvel who says these are from depressed areas where heavy industry is drying up, and they want they want the Avengers to put their towns on the map, but. I mean, it would be a boon for, like, wall-building industries. <laughs> that's, that's what I thought. Construction <laughs> industries would do. Contractors would do great. Maybe it would help tourism a little bit. I don't know if there'd be some sort of 
infrastructure push? Like, would they need more drivers or cooks or like, is there any kind of staffing issues or not really for logistics the, or not really for the Avengers? I mean, you would help the local uh, like hospitals would have to get bigger and you need more people in your healthcare. Maybe they could just charge a lot for insurance. Well, that uh, would certainly, but you know, insurance. I mean, maybe they're leasing space for maybe for the Quinjets or there's some sort of tie-in, maybe some sort of tax breaks. I don't understand. I don't, really I don't know the economy. I don't know what any of this means. It seems like it would be a bad way. It seems like you would it would be more damage in your town than it would be. Yeah, more bad than good. There's an there's an there's an issue. Uh, it's, it's actually just a story in, a, in an incredible Hulk annual, uh, just a backup story where some town in the southwest, it, it, again a failing town, does Hulk go stomping through it to try to increase their exposure, rename their town Hulk. And they are immediately attacked by like six of his arch enemies. Why? And they just level it. Why would they attack a town? Look, I found Hulk on the map. He must be right there. <laughs> what? Idiots. Uh, so, yeah. I could imagine, you know, if they set up in some town somewhere in New Mexico and then all the other little towns around it, like, try to set themselves up as, like, Avengers viewing stations or something. Kind of like all the towns around, like, Area 51 where everyone has, like, an alien hotel and an alien diner. Like, they all try to take advantage of it for tourists. But... That's a good point. It might help the surrounding towns. And, you know, it's it's also funny because, of course, most of the Avengers have their own lives. Could you imagine, like, if they... If, if they all had to move there? If the Wasp had to move to Idaho. Oh, jeez. She would be so upset. The richest woman in Idaho. We also see here, when they're talking about where they're going to move to, the first sign of tension between the Wasp and Hercules. You know, he wasn't totally on board with her as chair as chairwoman. But Captain America convinced him. But here in this in this issue, he's again probably drunk and really unhappy about all the letters. <laughs> he's and, just mad because he has to try to read, <laughs> and and he's not helping out. And the Wasp kind of makes a joke to his expense, and he is not happy about that joke. It's the beginning of tension. We're going to see more and more of over the next five six issues of this title. Oh, really? It becomes a it becomes an issue during. Do the, they make Hercules chairman of the team? Because that'd be hilarious. It becomes an issue during the siege of, during under siege. Does it? I don't remember the Wasp at all. Was she in that book? I kind of love Hercules' smack talk during the fight with Namor. He gets in some really fun digs at Namor. You know, as I was reading through it, he picked a... At the time, you're like, oh my gosh, he's picking a fight with him for no reason. And it becomes kind of evident why he's fighting him pretty quickly. But this fight looks a lot like the last time they fought in the it Avengers does. title. Where someone picks up a tree and hits somebody with it. And just a lot of parallels to that. What was that? Was it Namor attacking a Navy base somewhere for some reason? But with the... the um, was that the Cosmic, Cosmic Cube? Cube. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's fun. He <laughs> he picks him up. Hercules picks Namor up and throws him in the water. And he says, you're not worth my time. Back to the sea. Back to your fishes. <laughs> I don't know why in my mind <laughs> Is Hercules that a Monty sounds Python? like John Cleese right then. <laughs> But yeah, he calls him no more because he doesn't have a throne anymore. Did you abdicate your might along with your throne? I, 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 he's good at smack talk. So, and and then at the end, Captain America asks him to join the team. Isn't that Wasp's job? (laughs) Yes, it is. And I believe we're going to be seeing a little bit of the repercussions of this, if not next issue, then the issue after. Okay. Where the Wasp is a little less than thrilled. Because it's not just this issue, like... I had mentioned during the the end of the Nebula thing that Cap kind of was making the plans and taking control, and he just can't seem to back off. No, it's a problem, and it's going to be continue to be a problem. And what's really a, what we're we're going to see this we're going to see Cap on the other side of this coin around issue three hundred when Mister Fantastic joins the team, and Cap gets his nose knocked out of joint when Mister Fantastic starts giving orders. It doesn't bother me so much. We've seen Namor eating seafood. And that doesn't bother <laughs> me as much as Aquaman because Namor doesn't talk to fishes. Yeah, and Namor seems like the kind of person. 
the kind of creature who would view seafood as we view cattle. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, he lives down there. It's kind of like that's their... I'm sure that's what he eats all the time. Yeah. Whereas with Nemo, it always... Oh, sorry, with Aquaman, it always seemed odd because he could communicate with them. And he'd like ask them how they taste beforehand. <laughs> hey, can you come over to my house tonight? Are bring... you feeling sweet or salty today? I don't... Can you come over to my house and bring some butter? Do you have some friends you don't like? <laughs> <laughs> Who's the troublemaker in this lobster community? I can take care of that for you. Uh, yeah, but not with Namor. I don't, I don't think he cares. And I do enjoy when Namor and Cap spend time together. Because they were actually in a war together, I feel like they probably have a bond. It's weird, though, because they act like they don't remember it. Well, because this, the invaders happened after the fact. Yeah, well... <laughs> It's some, I think now in, in current Marvel history or even Marvel history for the past 10 or 15 years, they remembered that Captain America and Namor are special because they were in World War II together. But at this point in time in their history, I don't feel like it was talked about very Weren't often. Weren't they also in World War II with Wolverine? Uh, bullpen Boltons. Uh, Jim Shooter writes a, actually writes a nice obituary for very nice. production supervisor Danny Crespi, who died of leukemia at age 59. Uh, Crespi had started his career as a letterer in 1948 and was responsible for all those well-designed cover blurbs and splash page graphics over the years. He came back to Marvel, or not came back to Marvel, but he became their assistant production manager in 1969 and their production supervisor in 1978. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, he'd obviously been with the, with the, with Marvel for decades. Long time. Yep. And, and 59 years old. He had leukemia for 11 years yeah. and managed to fight that. That's, that's impressive. Crazy. And you, you are right when you say that it's, it's nice that, um, yeah, I Jim Shooter actually writes a really nice tribute. I didn't feel like the one that he did for, um, oh my God, what was that guy's name? Mori, uh, the, I know who you mean. I can't remember his last name. Kuramoto? No. Yeah, that sounds that right. right. I think it is. Yeah. That one just seemed kind of sarcastic. -y. I don't know, but this one was really actually kind of nice. Uh, the checklist includes issue number 200 of the X-Men with Magneto on trial at the World Court. Also, the first issue of the revised official handbook of the Marvel Universe. That's not the 1989. No, that's the one that with the white covers. It's the second set of them. That's the one that I grew up with. Yes. Or not grew up with, but those are the ones that I Those had. are the ones that I read first, and then I went back and bought the older ones. Yeah, that issue 200 of the X-Men is when Professor X leaves Earth to go fly the space lanes with his girlfriend, and Magneto joins the X-Men. Oh, is that when he goes off with uh, Lalandra? Yep. From the Shire. Uh, we also see in the checklist the first issue of Marvel Saga, which was created to recap all of Marvel's history, and the first Thundercats comic published by Marvel under the Star Comics banner. And we have a letters page. Hey! Letters page. There are a lot of letters here welcoming the return of John Buscema and Tom Palmer to the art side of things. And those people are right. That's pretty much it. And there's some praise for Roger Stern, but it's mostly for the art. Well, I mean, you know, they, Barbara Stern's been here for a while, but yeah. it was nice to see them come back. Is there we, anything in <clears throat> special announcement? No. Yeah, the, the, comic book, the comic book guide fan awards were announced. Oh. Jim Shooter won Best Editor. Mark Grunewald came in number six. So he asks you for suggestions on how he can become number one. Kill Jim Shooter. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's it, right? It's like yeah. Highlander. <laughs> Cut his head off. You just have to take him out. We also get a question of the month. Uh-oh. What would you like your first name to be? Gideon. We always had backup names for our kids and a backup name for our middle child, Duncan. If we hadn't named him Duncan, we were going to name him Gideon. And then if my daughter hadn't been a daughter, her name would have been Lucian. I always wanted a name that sounds like a soap opera character, but then it would need to be like the first and the last name, like Zane. Yeah, you really need Zane a, Phoenix. You need a whole thing there. There's actually a real person I know, but... I would have gone for like Dexter, maybe. Dexter is not a soap opera character. No, no, I mean, just something... I mean, I'm nerdy enough, but I might as well like own it. My name is Dallas. <laughs> Dallas Rockford. Dallas Fort Worth. 
<laughs> no. Um, their choices for uh, Roger Stern is Jay Beresford, which I had to point out to him is not a name. Isn't that a person? Yeah. John Buscema says, Anak, A-N-A-K. Rex Mantooth. Um, Tom Palmer says something simple, distinctive, like Cuthbert, Ambrose, or Howard. Jim Novak says, Raul or Mookie. Oh. <laughs> I'm changing mine to Mookie. <laughs> Christy Scheel picks Max. You must be Max. Howard Mackey says Poe. That's interesting. Mark Grunewald says number six. Uh, is that a prisoner reference? Yeah, it yeah. is. And Jim Shooter says His Majesty. And I wish he was joking, mm. but I don't think he is. MVP. I, uh, maybe actually Hercules? That's who I picked. I mean, he's first of all, he's the only one that really does anything this issue. And he does, he does help Namor. I mean, mm. at the end of the day, he helps Namor out. And by helping Namor, he helps the team. Sure. Useless character? Black Knight. He's really just a background nerd in this issue. It's so true. Asking like technical questions about the base and yeah, shut up, Dane. Why are you here? Avengers level threat? Yeah, no, no. Best quote taken out of context. No, right. Uh, yes, your gift was most distracting. <laughs> uh, now Avengers level threat. Uh, no. The Enclave? What? No way in hell. The Hydro base? <laughs> Namor? Yeah, I mean he's not really a threat. He joined the team. That's better than the Beyonder. Final grade. I gave it a B minus. There's nothing really horrible here, but at the same time, there's nothing really spectacular here either. I gave it a B plus. I like this issue. I have a lot of affection for it. It's a pretty simple issue. You like I, seeing the team sitting around eating lobsters? I do. It's my favorite. It's my fire. favorite part of the of the book. No, it's it, it's it's a great use of Hercules. And again, Roger Stern, damn you for making me like Hercules. But it really is a good use of Hercules, and it makes Namor a sympathetic character, and that's not easy either. I'm going to jack mine up to a B plus just because we get to see a Mrs. Stingray in a bikini. <laughs> I feel like I feel like Roger Stern has gone out of his way to find some of the most obnoxious characters in the Marvel Universe. And make you like them. And make me like them. That bastard. He didn't quite manage it with Fire Lord, but he's done a good job with Hercules and Namor. No, but he kind of put Fire Lord in perspective by using Hercules to knock him down a couple notches. That's true. That's true. Which and fun. And then letting the Beyonder knock him around and letting Nebula's starship knock him around. and <laughs> <clears throat> Yeah. Stupid Fire Lord. Uh, on our next episode, we jump back over to the West Coast team to find out how that search for the sixth member is going. Uh, Tiger fights Craven. A few new faces show up, and we witness the first appearance of old Demon Limbs himself, Master Pandemonium. Oh, I know you love Master Pandemonium. <laughs> I really do. It's just a ridiculous villain. <laughs> One of the stupidest characters. <laughs> but, uh, but a lot of fun, I have to admit. Totally fun. <clears throat> All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, our email address is mail at avenginghour.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Avenging Hour. Uh, we have a Facebook page. And our website is avenginghour.com. I think Master Pandemonium is going to be the next Avengers movie. Thanks for listening. And once again, bye bye